5. Jesus had been in Capernaum teaching His disciples and other followers. And during this time, He had been accused of being possessed by a demon and casting out a demon in the name of Satan himself. His own family even accused Him of being out of His mind. And after a long day of teaching and uh, giving some parables to the disciples, He and the disciples set out across the sea. But no sooner did they get out on the sea that Jesus goes to the back of the boat to sleep. He had been tired uh, from a long day. And the disciples discover, after not too long being out on the lake, that there was a great storm. This violent storm had come up all of a sudden, and the disciples did everything they could to try to get out of the storm, but they could not. And so they woke Jesus and asked for His help. And Jesus calmed the storm and stilled the sea. We saw that last week. And they finish their journey across the sea, and they come, we'll find here in chapter 5, they come to the region of the Gerasenes. Jesus had previously in this book revealed him, uh, revealed His power over humanity when He healed sickness. He revealed His power over sin when He forgave sin in chapter 2. He revealed His power over nature when He calmed the storm. And now He's going to reveal His power over evil spirits. And there are few, if not any, other places in the Scripture that show Christ's power and superiority over the spiritual realm than here in chapter 5. Now, there are two extremes that we can go to when we study the demonic realm. One is we can have a, a sense of unbelief. We can look at this demonic realm and think, well, it doesn't really exist. Satan is not real. There's not really a hell. None of those things are true. Obviously, the Scriptures speak otherwise. So one extreme is not believing it at all. The other extreme is an over-fascination with the demonic realm. Trying to figure out all what is going on with with all these demons and how they're involved in our world today and how we can speak to them and how people uh, use them to advance in life and so on. But I would suggest to you that both of those extremes are dangerous. They are very dangerous and we should stay away from them. So my goal here is to show you the extraordinary power that Christ has over the evil spirits as we'll see in this passage and then show you that Christ has the power to heal any harm that comes as a result of them. Now, I was thinking of, as I was thinking through some titles here, what you'll find is that these sheep go over the side of the hill and and, and are killed. And one of the interesting titles that I came across was, uh, was entitled this, The Day the Price of Pork Went Up. Because of all the sheep dying, now the the price of pork uh, goes to a, a an unprecedented level. But uh, let's begin reading with verse one of chapter five in Mark. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. 
and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and about two thousand of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed and in his right mind. The very man who had the legion. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him. But he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. I think this passage breaks down nicely for us. The first 13 verses talk about Jesus' superiority as it is extended to the spiritual realm. And then the last several verses, verses 14 through 20, show us that Christ must be worshipped. So what we're going to see is that because Jesus has superiority over the spiritual realm, He must be worshipped. So His extraordinary power over evil spirits is seen in the first verses. The setting is that the disciples have come across the sea to the region of the Gerasenes. This region, which basically covered a large part of the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, included mostly Gentiles. Because they were herding pigs, we wouldn't expect Jews to be doing something like that. So we would expect this to be a Gentile region. And these cities were smaller cities than he had come from. So remember Jesus' problem over on the other side near Capernaum and on the west side of the Sea of Galilee was that he was being crowded. He was being pressed in, on, pressed in upon. That he would have to go out onto a boat and teach from a boat so that he wouldn't be pressed in to a point where he couldn't move or be heard. And so they come across having made it past this violent storm because Jesus calmed it. They make it across to the other side, and as soon as he gets out of the boat, verse 2, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. The characteristics of this man are found in verses 3 through 5. Verse 3, it says, He had his dwelling among the tombs. This man was a tomb dweller, he lived where the dead bodies were. Typically, this place was not lived 
was not used to live by anyone except for perhaps some extremely poor people. But they, this, this man, this man who was possessed by a demon, found his dwelling there. And according to Matthew 8, that records the same story, there were actually two men that were, that were living in the tombs and that were possessed by demons. Luke and Mark record only one. And I think probably the reason is that he was the more dominant of the two figures and, and the one who came and bowed down before Jesus. You'll also notice, uh, not in these verses here, but if you look back to verse 15, you'll see by implication that this man was also naked. Look at verse 15. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, and then notice, clothed and in his right mind. If you were to look at Luke's recording of this, Luke chapter 8, it tells us that indeed he was naked. This man was running around without clothes on, living in the tombs. And then Matthew tells us that he was a violent man, that all the people who passed by were afraid of him. That They, they took a special route, a, a detour around the, this man so that they would not be harmed by him because, as you can imagine, the violence that he was showing to himself, he would show to others as well. And then we find in verses 3 through 5 that he had supernatural strength. Look at the second part of verse 3. Verse 3. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. These chains are chains just like you would think, and the shackles were probably shackles like you would put around the feet and they were it says that they were broken in pieces the idea probably is there that he was rubbing them together so much so that he he disintegrated their their strength he disintegrated these shackles and was able to get out of them this man was extremely strong uh, as a result of the possession of the demon he was also loud look at verse 5 Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains. He was a loud man screaming. You could imagine the, the shrieks and the, the shrills that were coming from the, the, uh, the tombs during the evening and how, how it would mark out for you a, a horrific sound every night when you went to bed. And then the other thing is that he was uh, self-destructive. The end of verse 5 says that he was gashing himself with stones. These are not smooth, round stones as we think about stones, but probably, probably jagged-edged stones that he was using to cut himself and to make uh, 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 cuts into his skin and in his body. Now, the truth about demons is that not all demon possession is blatantly violent like this. It's not all readily apparent. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And you'll notice a different kind of demon possession. Not all demonization is so blatantly violent. Let's begin reading 2 Corinthians chapter 11 with verse 12. But what I am doing, I will continue to do, so that I might cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For such men are false prophets, deceitful workers, 
disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Just because a person is demon-possessed does not mean that they will be readily apparent to us. Many of them disguise themselves as angels of light. The other thing that we have to know about demonization is that not all sin is a result of demonization. Remember James chapter 1 says, a lot of times we, we, we think of, of sin that it's because Satan made me do it or that these demons forced me to do it. But no, James says that we are led away by our own sin and our own lust when we are enticed, when we are drawn away. So not all sin is a result of being demon-possessed. Now, in verses 6-10 through 10 of our, our passage, Mark chapter 5, we see the superior power of Christ over evil spirits. It's seen in three ways. Verse 6 tells us that the demons bow to Christ. Verse 6, seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. As if Jesus were the king, as he is, they recognized as a person or a member of the spiritual realm recognized Jesus as being a man of authority. Look at verse 7. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? He recognizes who Jesus is and what his uh, level of authority is. And the question there that he's asking really is one of, not of, of asking for information, rather he's saying, you have no business with us. Don't come near us. That's why he says at the end of the verse, please, I implore you by God, do not torment me. The idea is, you don't have any business with us, so get out of our region. Leave us alone. Verse 7, they beg Christ. This shows Jesus' power over them because they beg Christ. They ask something of Christ. Jesus has power over them, and so they ask for His permission to leave in this case. This is quite interesting because they are the ones doing all the tormenting, and they're asking that Jesus not torment them. How ironic of them. And the reason that they were asking Jesus not to torment them, Mark or Matthew chapter 8 gives us a further explanation of what's going on here. They ask Jesus not to send them back to the place of judgment, or they say before their time. Do not, do not judge us before our time. The idea is there is a time when the, these demons recognize that they will be judged for their evil works. And they're asking Jesus not to do this prematurely. That's why they say, please do not torment me. Now, Jesus repeats Himself here in verse uh, 7. Um, I'm sorry, verse 8. said, For He had been saying, Jesus had been saying to Him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And the question that we have to ask is, why was Jesus repeating Himself? Because really, the the idea is not that he just said it once, come out of the man and the unclean spirit came out. Rather, he had been saying, he had gone on saying several times, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And I think the reasoning is because this is a very complex situation and Jesus was trying to show, as we'll see with the details with the rest of the story, that Jesus was trying to show the enormity and of the power of these evil spirits. 
You'll see this as we move on. And I think this is why Jesus asks this demon's name as well in verse 9. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. Do you think Jesus was asking him because he didn't know what the demon's names were? Of course not. Jesus knows everything because he is God. But he asks for the sake of the people around him. So that the people around him and us, as we look at the story, can know how severe this situation really is. This is not just one demon tormenting a person. This is multiple thousands of demons. In fact, the word legion refers to a Roman military unit of 6,000 infantrymen. Now, that doesn't mean that there were exactly 6,000 demons in this person because you remember these demons went into how many pigs? Later on, we see that verse 13, they went into 2,000 pigs. It doesn't mean that there were 2,000 pigs either. We don't know the number. The point is that there's a large number of demons. And Jesus asks their name so that the people around could recognize how severe the situation really was. We should, we should, as representatives of God, you see, Jesus was a representative of God here. And as a representative of God, he was approached and opposed by demons. And I hope you recognize that since you are also a representative of God, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you will be opposed by demons as well. And this unseen world is not immediately at the front of our minds often, but it is very real. We see Jesus' further superior superiority over the demons in verse 10 when they ask permission of Christ, realizing that, that their doom was sealed that they were going to have to leave this man. Verse 12, the demons implored him. This is a, a great deal of begging. Saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Now why would Jesus be willing to destroy these, these 2,000 pigs? Why would he allow the, these 2,000 pigs to, to be demon-possessed and to run over the hill and be killed? I think the first purpose is to show, as I've been saying, the immensity of the evil that was going on here. Imagine this in your mind. You have been living in this region of the Gerasenes, and for several weeks you've been awakened by these, these horrific screams at night. And you've heard about how violent this man has been, this evil man has been to your neighbor's son, and, and all the damage that he has done to him. And you're even part of a group that tried to bind this man. You put him in shackles and you were successful at one point, but then you found out that he, he was able to free himself from these shackles. Well, one morning you're walking along the shore and you see a group of men whom you don't recognize come up and, and immediately as the one leading man gets out of the boat, this demon-possessed man who, who is a very fearful person comes and bows down to this person. And he says, what do you want with us, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Please, don't torment me. And you're thinking, this man can't be afraid of anyone. Why is he bowing down to this man? And after the man from the boat speaks to the crazy man for a little while, Matthew records that he tells these demon this demon-possessed man, go. That is, go into the pigs. And then suddenly, you hear this loud squealing sound of pigs and a stampede. And you see them go over the side of this bank and, and you hear the splash 
and then silence. And you turn back to look at this crazy man whom you had tried to bind at one time and you see that he he looks normal now. I mean, would you ever forget an eyewitness experience like that? Wouldn't it cause you to reflect on what just happened? What what was going on here? Who is this man that, that, that can calm down this violent, crazy man? And so I think the reason that that Jesus allows these demons to go into these 2,000 pigs is for the sake of, of giving a vivid picture of the people who are there and for us of how immense evil really is. And then secondly, I think the, we have to understand that Jesus allowed these demons to go into the animals, to the pigs, and allowed them to die. He allowed it because people are more important than animals. Okay, People are more important than animals. The life of one man is worth more than 2,000 pigs. That's one of the implications that we see. Does that mean that every desire that we have, everything that we want to do is more important than all animals and so we can just torture and kill animals as we please? Certainly God cares even for animals. And He has laws in the Old Testament against those. But human life is more valuable than animal or plant life because human life contains the image of God. And believers who have human life, they have within them God's Spirit. They have the ability to discern between good and evil, which animals do not. And so people are more important than animals. We have to be able to recognize that from this passage as well. In verses 14 through 20, we see that Christ must be worshipped. There is the superiority that he has over the evil spiritual realm, that they have to come and bow to him, that they have to ask for his permission because God is in control even of all of those things. And we see in verses 14 through 17 a failure to submit to Christ and his rule. And it seems as if, at first glance, these townspeople are doing what God would want. Look at verse 14. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and observed the the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion. And they became frightened. And those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. It seems like the townspeople are doing something good. They're going to tell other people about it. But look at verse 17 and we see their heart. And they began to implore Him, Jesus, to leave their region. Now why would they want Jesus to leave their region? Why would they want Jesus to leave their region? I think they became more afraid of Jesus than the demon-possessed man. The demon-possessed man was causing some damage, but not as much as Jesus caused. I mean, 2,000 pigs, can you imagine? That's a, that's a, a, a huge amount of resources that those farmers had, had uh, developed over years. And this, so this was a significant economic loss for them. But the townspeople remind us of many today who, although they're struck, awestruck by God and they have reverence for Him in a way, they would rather continue on in their normal pattern of life 
than to bow and to allow Him to be involved in their lives. Some people fear that they'll have to give up too much. They'll have to give up too much money or a certain type of lifestyle or a sin that they enjoy. And so they're not going to follow Jesus. They're not going to allow Him to be involved in their lives and so they push Him out. Others feel uncomfortable in the presence of God and prefer to to allow life to go on as it has. Many today tolerate religion only if it does not interfere with their pocketbook or their lifestyles. But Jesus is not someone to be added to our lives in addition to all the other gods we serve, but rather He is to be the sole authority for all of our lives. That we must give up everything else in order to serve Him, no matter what the cost. And so they failed ultimately to submit to Jesus and His power. They failed. But the demon-possessed man, the formerly demon-possessed man, did not. He he did submit to the superior Christ, verses 18-20. through 20. As he was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said to him, Go home, dear people, and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how He had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. What an impossible transformation took place here. Before this man was was uh, naked, cutting himself, violent. And in verse 15, we find that this man was now sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. And the people were afraid. They were frightened because of, of this transformation that had taken place. And he asks Jesus, can I come with you? I would love to come with you. He wants to spend more time with Jesus. He wants to, to be with this man. But instead, Jesus says, no, I have a better plan for you. You go home to all your people and tell them about what, about what I've done here. Now, this is kind of strange if you've been paying attention as we've been going along through this study because in chapter 1, verses 43 and 44, when Jesus healed the leper, what did he tell him to do? Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone what I have done here. And then in chapter 3, verse 12, the demons were constantly coming up to him and, and saying his name. He said, no, do not tell them that I am the Son of God. And I said that the reason that Jesus was keeping this secret at this time was so that uh, he would have more time to speak with the disciples and allow them to learn on their own. And so he didn't want to prematurely be led to the cross, and so he kept it a secret. But now here we find in verse 19 that he tells this man, go home and tell everybody. So maybe it's time to let the secret out. Maybe it's time to let everybody know about Jesus. But I would suggest that it is not time. Look at chapter 5, verse 41. Taking the child by the hand, he said, Talitha kum, which translated means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said to them that they should get her something to eat. And then chapter 7, verse 34. So you see there that Jesus says, do not tell anybody to to, to tell this to anyone. This is to the, the... girl that was raised from the dead, her parents. And then in chapter 7, verse 34, to the, 
to the deaf man, and looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the, and, and the impediment of his tongue was removed. And he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone. But the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. So if, if Jesus is still keeping the secret, why did he tell this man, our, our man, the formerly demon-possessed man, to go and tell everybody? Now what you have to remember here in order to answer that question is where they are. They're in a Gentile region, remember? They had come across on the east side of the Sea of Galilee where it's primary, primarily Gentiles. And so for this man to go into the town and tell all these other Gentiles about what Jesus has done is not significantly going to be a problem for Jesus. Because they wouldn't have known the sacred writings. They wouldn't have known the Scriptures and what exactly that meant that the Messiah was here. But had this man been in a Jewish region, Jesus probably would have said the same thing that He said to all these other people. In fact, that's where that, these next stories take place. He goes back across to the west, to the, uh, west side of the uh, Sea of Galilee and, and Jesus says, keep it quiet. Don't tell anyone. Christ must be worshipped and we must do as He pleases. Jesus um, was showing that He had superiority over the evil spirits. And this man wanted to follow Jesus. And for him, it didn't mean following Him to the extent that the disciples would follow Him, but rather that He would go out and spread the word about who Jesus was. And really, this man became the first missionary to the Gentiles. The first man to explain who Jesus Christ was and what He had done. Now, perhaps you look at yourself and and look at the sin that you have committed. You look at a story like this and say, well, I don't think Jesus could heal my sin. I don't think He could forgive my sin. The consequences have been too great. The guilt is too strong. The shame is too deep. And perhaps you're saying to me right now, well, you don't know what I've been involved in. You don't know what kind of sin has had a grip on me and the evil that has been in my life. You you can't feel the hopelessness. If, if you could feel this way, you, you would understand why I speak this way, that, that God cannot save me. But my answer to you would be, you don't know my Christ and His power over the spiritual realm. I have experienced His saving power. And I have this testimony for you that He can save you as well. Because Christ is superior over all. That all the earth bows to Him. In fact, one day everyone, every creature on heaven and in earth will bow the knee and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians chapter 2. Are you deeply scarred? Do you have some filthy habits? Perhaps a pattern of immoral behavior or a mouth that is filthy? with perversity. Maybe you've done something so heinous that, that you don't think God will accept you. And you know what? God will not accept you unless you're attached to Jesus Christ. He will accept His Son because His Son is perfect and He has paid the price for your sin. He has lived a perfect life so that you could, you could uh, receive the benefits of knowing Christ. 
And so, yes, God will not accept you, but He will accept His Son, Jesus Christ. And so all you have to do is trust in His Son. Believe that what Jesus has done is is true and real. Put your faith in Him. Turn from your sin and turn in faith to Jesus Christ. Jesus, who calmed the stormy sea, also calms the stormy soul. He can do it with the Word. And this story that we've looked at today is really part of a three-part story. Over nature, we saw last week. Over the spiritual realm this week. And then next week we'll see over the physical realm. And the point is that He can deliver you from any evil that you are involved in. Will you turn to Him? Will you turn in faith to Jesus Christ? Don't wait to respond. Lift up your heart to Him today. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, it is incredible to think about all of the demonic influence that is going on in our world even now. And while we don't want to dwell on it too much, we do want to to recognize that it is real and that Satan and his demons are actively pursuing whom they may devour. And we are so thankful for Your Word and for the truth that You have power over all of the spiritual realm. No matter how evil, no matter how bad uh, these spirits are, You are greater. And they must come to You for permission to do anything to us or to anyone in the world. And so we bow to You because of Your Lordship over all creation. And we look with great anticipation to the day when all creation will bow the knee and admit that Jesus Christ is Lord. Maybe not because they want to, but because they have to. Because You are the King of all. And we look forward to serving Jesus Christ during His millennial reign. And we look forward to serving You during the eternal kingdom and throughout uh, the rest of eternity. But Lord, we don't want to start there. We want to begin now as You've called us to give ourselves to You now. Perhaps there are people in here who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Perhaps they are bound much like this demon-possessed man with the shackles of sin and they cannot get out. Lord, it is a self-destructive and a self-deceiving place to be. A place apart from Christ. And so I pray that You would do a work in those who do not know You and bring them to Christ today. Lord, I ask that You would be with those who are believers and who are struggling with the evil and the difficulty that's going on in the world and perhaps even the frustration of the evil that's going on in their own life and and are prone to question You and whether You really are in control. Lord, I pray that the passage like this would help them to, to develop and deepen their confidence in You and Your control over all things. We submit ourselves to You with our lives and with our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let me ask you to 